That's all I have. Let's bow our heads in prayer before we open God's word together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have the stillness of this afternoon hour to gather together around thy word, and we pray that thou would help us to uh, clear distractions from our mind, that we would focus on the living word. We're thankful that we've heard it so powerfully expounded this morning, and uh, the reminder of uh, the, the, the primacy, the importance of thy Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not only as our Savior, but as our model for living. Heavenly Father, help us to do and say the things that would please thee, and be with us now as we look together into thy word. Amen. I'd like to read a short section. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting to see also how the Lord works. Uh, my, my brother ended his sermon this morning um, reminding us that what we do is important. The works that we do are important. And I had a few thoughts uh, on my heart as well about specifically about the things that we do. And so this will be perhaps an, an appendix to this morning's ser- sermon. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, I'd like to begin reading with the ninth verse. Luke 18, beginning with verse 9. This is Jesus. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. I've read until the end of the 17th verse. When we think about actions and the things that we do, we need to be able to evaluate them. We need some sort of standard or metric that we can use to to measure our actions, to know if those actions are right or not. Pilate had um, an, uh, an action, a situation thrust on him where he had to make a decision. And he had to weigh the benefits and uh, the, uh, 
the, you know, the, we say the pros and the cons of, of, of each decision. And so our actions also need to be weighed, and we need a way to evaluate them. And this short section that we've read together contains two accounts that on their surface look pretty different, but I think they have a common thread between them. When we think about something, we want to do something. We, we first of all have to evaluate that action. Is that action something that is a, a legitimate um, a legitimate action, a legitimate decision. Because not all actions are uh, morally neutral. Some things are wrong right on the, on, the, on the face of it. Lying, stealing, causing injury to other people, being unkind. Those are wrong actions, bad things to do. So with our actions, there's first the what of the action. The second part is a little bit more difficult to discern. And that's the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Or why is someone else doing what they're doing? That gets sticky because, of course, we cannot see into the heart of other people. We can't judge motives, and we often get in trouble when we assume motives on other people. I've said it before and I'll probably say it again, but <clears throat> offense is more often taken than it is given. And that has to do with judging people's motives. We're offended because we think we know what the other person meant by what they did, when they, that may not have been what they intended. And so we take offense, but the offense really wasn't intended, it wasn't given. We've taken offense. So we have to be very, very careful when we judge people's motives because we don't, see the, we don't see the heart. Only God really knows the why of our actions, God and ourselves. So let's talk about the why for a moment in context of these two things. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray. So the what... Let's start there. A good action or a bad action? I think we would all say it's a good action to go to the temple of the Lord, to the house of God, to pray. This is called the house of prayer, right? Christ referred to the temple as the house of prayer. Praying is a legitimate and a good action, something we all should do and do probably more regularly and longer than we customarily do. I think if I was to ask you, do you pray enough? I think we'd all probably say, well, no, maybe not. I should be spending more time in prayer. The Pharisee was there. He was praying, and so was the publican. The why. Now, it's easy to assume a wrong motive on the Pharisee. to think he was doing this for the wrong reasons. Well, I think the Pharisee's fault really is, is a slightly different one than you may expect. For those that heard the sermon from last weekend that I preached in Beverly Hills, we need to start with the right idea about God. 
And the Pharisee started with the wrong idea. I think he believed that he was there doing God service. That his action, his prayer in the temple was in the right place. He was the right person to do it. And that this was pleasing to God. And he reveled in that. He rejoiced in that. And I don't know that we can totally judge his motives I, in the sense that I, he thought he was doing righteousness. We ended with justice and righteousness this morning. He thought he was doing the right thing. And he was making the difference between clean and unclean. But he was misguided. What about the publican? He also went to the temple to pray. And that was a good thing for him to do as well. I'd argue it was probably harder for him to go to the temple and pray than it was for the Pharisee to go to the temple and pray because those that knew he was a publican knew what his occupation and connections were and would have looked down on him. But he felt that he should be in the temple to pray, to be close to God, even though he knew that there was, that there was something between him and God. He acknowledged that distance. And he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. So here we see the why. I think the why for the, for the publican is, is, is more obvious. The why was he knew he was far from God and wanted to be close to him, realizing his need, realizing his need for mercy, his need for grace from God. The Pharisee was ignorant of his need. I won't say much about his motive because I don't know. But there is a third test for our actions. We've talked about the what of the action. Is it a legitimate action or not? We've talked a little bit about the why, which only you and God really know. There's finally the how. How is the action done? And that's one sometimes that we don't pay enough attention to. The world tells us that ethics are situational and truth is relative. And I think some of that thinking has also infiltrated the church. That if my, if my intentions are good, then my actions must be good. Or if the intentions are good, then the ends justify the means. And what that means, for those that may not be familiar with those words, is that it doesn't really matter how I, I, I do something, it's more that the end result is the important thing. So for instance, if we want to fill the benches in this church, I could send out flyers into the neighborhood offering something for free that I'm not really giving them, and maybe a bunch of people would show up here and the church would be filled, at least temporarily, and we would say, hey, the church is filled, that's a good thing. But the way that that was done would be an illegitimate way, that the how of it would have been the problem. But God cares about the how. You remember, of course, Saul. He was told to devote everything of the Amalekites to destruction. And that's an interesting word, devote. It means allocate for destruction. To burn completely with fire. 
And he thought he could be selective about that. So we destroyed all the garbage stuff, but the really good stuff, God, we kept for you. God cared about the how. <coughs> he said, that's not what I asked for. We might have been inclined to be more lenient with someone like Saul and say, well, his heart was in the right place. He wanted to give the good stuff to God. Why destroy something perfectly good? But God cares about the how of the way that we do things. The publican thought that he could be close to God by distancing himself from other men. That he could be close to God by by showing how far others were from God. And that was wrong. Your proximity, your nearness to God is only between you and him. Because your, your nearness to God is not one of distance. God is everywhere. It's one of likeness. Nearness to God is likeness to God. This is also why sometimes we struggle and we think, well, God feels so far away. And I think if we would look into the mirror of God's word, we would see that there are things in us that are unlike him, and therefore God feels far away from us. And until those things are taken care of, we can't do anything about that distance that we perceive. We have to first deal with those things if we are to get close to him. You remember what Christ said, if you're at the altar and there you remember that you have something against your brother, leave your gift there. Go make it right. Because you're not getting any closer to God by offering something in sacrifice unto him. It's no good. The how is important. The publican, on the other hand, brought what God was looking for, a broken and a contrite heart. And that... God could say of him, he went down to his house justified. He's justified. It comes from uh, uh, the word, I think, for a plumb line. Anyone (coughs) nowadays in in the building trade, there's all kinds of great technology. I mean, of course, there's the spirit levels that you can use to see if uh, something is is, is plumb or not. But now you've even got lasers, a spirit level with a laser that'll show you if it's straight up and, and down. Back then, they had to hang a weight with a string. That's the way you figured out if something was straight up and down. And in order to be made justified or, or straight with God, that you had to measure yourself against what God, what God asked. And it was uh, uh, the Old Testament prophets that told us what he requires of us. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. The second group is interesting. Here we have the disciples. There were little infants that were brought to Jesus to bless them. And, you know, the disciples were practical men. Christ had places to go. There were things to do, messages to preach, people to heal. These children were a distraction. I mean, some of them may have been so young that they wouldn't even remember this encounter with Jesus. We shouldn't be wasting our time here. Their motives were probably good. Christ's time was limited. This was slowing him down. He had a, he had a mission for ministry. But they had missed something very important. And this little episode in the life of Christ is preserved for us, lest we also miss what is important. 
He says, don't forbid them. These little ones, of them is the kingdom of God. And you can take that verse a few different ways. One of, it, one of the ways to take that is that unless you become as little children, Christ said it that way, you need to be simple in, in malice, as it says in another place. But I think it also means that there are many children in heaven. We think of the death of the innocents in these recent wars in Ukraine and Gaza. Innocents of both sides that now have a place with one who loves them and cares for them and they will hurt no more. Though the disciples' motives were good, what they were doing wasn't, and, and Christ had to correct them. And taking correction is such an important part of our Christian walk. When someone questions you or questions your motives, that shouldn't be an opportunity for you to kind of get your hackles up and get offended. That's an opportunity for introspection. A chance for you to look in and say, well, what is my motive here? Because sometimes, you know, it gets a little bit fuzzy. Sometimes the reasons we do things may be a little bit less than perfect, even if it is a good thing. Or in doing a good thing, we may think ill of other people. Or in doing a good thing, we may make others feel bad about themselves because of the way we do it. Again, the example of Christ here is so instructive. He shows us not only the what to do, and it was, it's wonderful when you, when you consider his life. He, he told them, <coughs> you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were, they were always out to get Christ, always had a bone to pick with him. It would have been really easy, like it happens today online, to divide into an us-and-them mentality. To simply try to tear down everything that the Pharisees stood for. But it's interesting what Christ does. He doesn't do that. He says, do as they say, but don't do as they do. Be careful. Truth is absolute. Even if the devil speaks truth, it's still truth. He may be using truth for his own ends. And then we need to consult the whole word of God to know the full truth. But truth remains truth no matter who says it. So when someone finds fault with us and when we are um, accused of something, don't look at it as an opportunity to defend yourself or even worse to do as the Pharisee and denigrate other people, make fun of them. You know, it's the first thing my kids do, I think, is that when you find fault with them, they know where there's bigger fault with someone else, usually one of their siblings. Yeah, but he did this. The thing is, we don't really outgrow that childish behavior. We often justify ourselves as we get older, too. And I'm justified in behaving badly because someone behaved worse to me. Look to Christ. He's the example. He's the plumb line. No one argues with a plumb line. If something's out of plumb, it's out of plumb. You don't say that the laser's crooked and the stud is straight. It doesn't work like that. That's the reference line. Christ is our reference line. We need to fall in line with him. Otherwise, whatever we're doing is going to end up crooked, no matter how good our motives are. Simple words taught to us by 
the best man that ever lived. Let's remember them in the week ahead. I heard a, a saying once, the true mark of spiritual maturity is this. When you do something for God and someone else gets the credit and you're happy that it's that way, that's the mark of spiritual maturity. You rejoice in the fact that someone else got the credit for what you did for the Lord. I think Apostle Paul was there. That's why he could say what he did. And that's why he could rejoice in whatever situation he was. You know, even when people were preaching and, and it was adding, thinking to add to his affliction, thinking to make things more difficult for him, he simply rejoiced in that Christ was being preached. I often don't have that attitude. I pass everything through the, through the lens of me instead of looking unto Jesus. Let's all learn to look at the what we do, the why we do, what we do, and then how we do it. Because God cares about the how. May God add whatever was lacking to what was said. Will the brother please select to him? Let's kneel to pray. Heavenly Father, we can examine our own hearts, what we have heard today. It, it is the attitude and, the, and, and why we do things and, and for what reason. Father, we have even heard of making judgments that are wrong and perceiving people differently, perhaps even thinking down on people, looking down on people. Father, help us, Lord, to have a pure heart. Help us, Lord, to, to do things according to thy will. We say this many, many times over, and yet we fail all the time. Forgive us, Lord, we pray, and help us. Help, help us, Lord, to encourage one another. Help us, Lord, to labor for the kingdom that, that you have put us upon this earth for the reason that you have in us. Help us, Lord, and bless us, for without your blessings, without your help, without your guidance, we can do nothing. Father, we pray for our children, Lord, that you would open their eyes also, that they may not go on their own understanding or, or, or gut, gut feelings or perhaps even the evidence in this earth that is shown falsely to deceive man and to, to destroy uh, the relationship that God did make for man and God. Help us, Lord, and help them, Lord, to understand. Give us the right words and, and the right attitude towards them that they may perhaps... Uh, that may be helped in, in understanding. Father, we're reminded of so many that amongst us now that are sick and that are old and those in hospitals, those on, of old age, those in difficulty. Father, we pray, we pray that you would reach out to them and help them too, Lord. Father, we pray that you would add what we cannot ask. Our mind is so little and so limited in, in understanding. We pray, Lord, that you, you would that you would lead and that we would follow. But for all your goodness, for all your blessings, Lord, we thank you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may think that if it's difficult to get your actions right, then just don't do anything. That's the safer way. 
do as little as possible. That doesn't work either. We're here to work for the Lord. That's what he expects of us. Do you remember what happened to the one who buried his talent? You cannot remain neutral with the things of God. This morning during the service, uh, I, I thought of a hymn. I'd like to read the, the words of it in conclusion. The title of the hymn is, What Will You Do With Jesus? Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all. Hearken, what meaneth the sudden call? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Jesus is standing on trial still. You can be false to him if you will. You can be faithful through good or ill. What will you do with Jesus? Will you evade him as Pilate tried? Or will you choose him, whate'er betide? Vainly you struggle from him to hide. What will you do with Jesus? Will you, like Peter, your Lord, deny? Or will you scorn from his foes to fly? Daring for Jesus to live or die? What will you do with Jesus? Jesus, I give thee my heart today. Jesus, I'll follow thee all the way. Gladly obeying thee, will you say, this I will do with Jesus. This concludes our service. Amen.